I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. of rare genetic metabolic diseases known as lysosomal storage disorders are largely without treatments. Mark Noble believes one way of accelerating the development of therapies for this group of disorders is to look at them collectively instead of individually and see whether existing drugs might serve as treatments. Noble, professor of genetics and of neurobiology and anatomy at the University of Rochester Medical Center, recently co-authored a study in PLOS Biology that suggests repurposed drugs could address a common aspect of these diseases and provide therapeutic benefit. We spoke to Noble about his research, the findings of this common link in this group of diseases, and the potential implications for using already approved drugs to bring needed treatments to patients. Mark, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. We're going to talk about research you're doing that suggests the potential for repurposing drugs to treat a variety of lysosomal storage disorders. Perhaps we can start with this group of inherited metabolic diseases. There are nearly 50 different disorders that fall into this category. Can you explain in broad terms what a lysosomal storage disorder is, some of the conditions this might include, and, and the range of effects they have. Well, lysosomal storage disorders cover a broad range of, of, of problems. The lysosome is central to recycling of materials in the cell, and lipids and proteins are degraded there, broken down into individual components, and then used for other purposes. If you prevent the lysosomes from working properly, then it's, uh, it's, I guess you could call it a form of cellular constipation. And part of what happens is that the lysosomes swell, they become disrupted, uh, many cell death processes can be set in train, um, and of course the cell is deprived of vital nutrients because the purpose of breakdown in the lysosome is, is nutrient supply. Any effects of all this? Depends upon the disease because the lysosomes have many different enzymes in them. So if you have an enzyme that is critical, for example, in the central nervous system, but not in other tissues, then that disease is going to have potentially dramatic effects on the brain and spinal cord. If you have an enzyme that is very important, for example, in the skin and the vasculature, then you'll get a different type of outcome. And, and how well understood are these diseases today? I think we've done a pretty good job of understanding them at a genetic level. I think we've done a pretty good job of understanding a lot of the tissue pathology. Where we have been weak is understanding how it is that you go from a mutation to a disease status. We know that the lysosomes don't work properly, but we have not had a, a, a very refined idea 
of how that actually converts into disruption. And, th and that, in fact, was, was the reason why we approached this topic as we did. We've seen enzyme replacement therapies for a few of these conditions, but overall, what's the state of available therapies to treat the various lysosomal storage diseases? It's pretty poor. The, 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 the enzyme replacement therapies are, are useful in, in relatively um, rarer of the, these already rare diseases. And the, part of the reason for that is that, for example, if you inject someone with enzyme and you have a disease that affects the, the brain and spinal cord, it doesn't get there. So the, the worst of these diseases, the diseases of the, of the nervous system, um, are not really helped very much by these kinds of treatments. And there's only a very small number for which those kinds of approaches have, have even been possible. So, and, and, and that, that represents a kind of problem that motivated us right at the outset, which is that the, the general approach to lysosomal storage disorders, not taken by everybody, but, but I'd say the overwhelming majority approach, is to focus on a specific disease. And that's where you have to start in, as you're doing this kind of research. But we felt that the field had, had reached a state where we could try and understand general principles in order to develop therapies that may be applicable to multiple diseases with the hope that this would make things faster to get into the clinic and maybe reduce the cost of treatment. Well, what is the case for a more comprehensive approach? Well, so the question is, can you discover a principle that applies to multiple of these diseases? The first thing you have to do is focus on a category of diseases. So we focused on a specific subset of diseases that are called the sphingolipidoses. And these include things like Crabbe disease and Gaucher disease and metachromatic leukodystrophy. The effect, they can affect different tissues. So Crabbe disease and metachromatic leukodystrophy predominantly have their effects in the nervous system. Uh, Gaucher disease in two of its forms can certainly have dramatic nervous system effects, but there's another form that doesn't affect the nervous system that much. And each one of them represents mutations in different enzymes. So we went into this with the question of could we identify principles that were applicable to all of these disorders? And the reason we're talking is obviously because we were successful. Well, your study focused on the acidity within the lysosomes, but maybe we should take a step back. Why don't you explain for a lay audience what exactly a lysosome is, where it's found, what its function is? Okay, so the, the lysosome is a part of the cell that is involved in basically recycling. That it is breaking down lipids and it's breaking down proteins and then providing the raw materials back to the cell. It can also eliminate things from the cell. And it is a, a very dynamic organ. It's tied in with multiple aspects of, of cellular metabolism. And when it goes awry, when processes in the lysosome go awry, two things happen. One is you're not getting a, a normal uh, nutritional balance in the cell, if you will, because you're not breaking down materials and uh, re recycling them to the cell for use. But another problem is that you get a buildup of substances that are toxic. And in fact, what happens 
in these lysosomal storage disorders very frequently is you get buildup of substances that you don't normally see very much of in a cell, and these substances have toxic properties. Well, walk us through your study. What did you set out to do, and, and how did you go about it? What, what we wanted to do, what, what we're always interested in, is getting at the general principles. And we couple that with a very, very specific kind of drug discovery. So the general principle we wanted to understand was how does the enzyme mutation that occurs in a lysosomal storage disorder cause all these terrible problems that occur. Because, for example, if you take a disease like like, like Kravid disease, you, you have, it's not just that, that you have breakdown of, of different structures in the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. You have a whole range of cellular dysfunctions and you have a whole range of lysosomal dysfunctions. And nobody understood very well how you get from the mutation to all those outcomes and whether those outcomes were functionally coordinated in a way that would allow you to even use a single intervention. So the intervention that people, of course, think of in these disorders because they come from a mutated enzyme is to replace the enzyme by gene therapy. And that's a very disease-specific approach. Every disease has to be handled by itself as a unique entity, although you can make general delivery vehicles for, for doing this kind of work. And you you have a lot of cells in the body to which in which you may have to correct the enzyme defect. Our approach is focus on pharmacological approaches that restore normal function in multiple disorders. So a very different kind of way of thinking about this. And in terms of restoring normal order, I mean, one of the unique things you found was that there was this common link of the acidity of, of the environment in, in a lysosome? Yes, it was a very, very striking finding. So a lysosome has a very acidic pH and very acidic environment compared to other parts of the cell. And that compartment is very, very tightly controlled by two mechanisms. There are a series of proteins that are involved in acidification of the lysosome, making sure that it initially has an acid environment. And there are other proteins that are less well understood that are involved in reacidification. So there are all kinds of, of insults to the lysosome that cause it to become less acidic. The reacidifying proteins restore it to its normal acidic environment. You looked at a, a group of lysosomal storage disorders that, that involved lipids. I'm wondering, do you know if the same is true for ones involving carbohydrates like MPS diseases? Well, we know that these pH abnormalities in the lysosome are, are common. So, And once you have pH abnormalities in the lysosome, the lysosome doesn't do its job properly. And because the drugs that we have discovered have their benefits by promoting lysosomal reacidification, there is a very good chance that they'll be applicable to multiple disorders. And that is at the heart of our concern, because so long as we are approaching these kinds of efforts in a disease-by-disease -disease manner, the cost of therapeutic development is going to remain very high, particularly because each of these individual diseases is so rare. 
Instead, if we can discover means of potentially um, providing benefit in multiple different disorders, we can potentially decrease the cost of therapeutic development. We can, which means decreasing the cost of therapies, and have therapies that that apply to multiple different kinds of diseases. Well, you identified a, a group of compounds that are already approved for human use. Did they have any common characteristics? No, that is one of the wonderful aspects of, of drug repurposing. We we do a lot of drug repurposing. We do drug repurposing for our work in cancer. We do this for our work in in uh, uh, physical traumatic damage to the nervous system, and we do it for our work on lysosomal storage disorders. And many other people also do this kind of work. And and what we find is that every every drug has properties yet to be discovered. And most of us who do this kind of work end up discovering new properties in drugs that are structurally very different from each other often. So it represents a new family of activities. And the activity that we discovered was the ability to take substances that are accumulating in various lysosomal storage disorders apply them to cells where what they do is they, they eliminate the acidity of the lysosome. The lysosome becomes dysfunctional. Many other things go wrong in the cell. And what we found is that we can make the lysosome acidic again with the drugs we discovered and fix these problems. In many of these diseases, you're, you're looking at ones that involve CNS, the central nervous system, do these drugs cross the blood-brain barrier? Yes, we we have that as part of our screen. Yes, that's a, that's essential for us because we we come. I come from a neurobiology background, and of course, the, the diseases that affect the the nervous system are particularly devastating. And we have the problem that we have this blood-brain barrier that prevents a lot of drugs, a lot of substances from getting into the brain. So we pay attention to that right up front. And we've been very successful in doing that. Your lead study drug, Colforsin, was shown effective in a mouse model of crabby disease. This is a drug that's approved in Japan to treat cardiac disease. Is there any effort to move forward with it or other drugs you looked at to treat these disorders? What, what will it take to, to move these forward? We are, one of the first things that you, that you do in these efforts is you expand your drug screen. So we started with a, a library of 1,040 compounds. We have expanded this to a library of 2,600 compounds, and that gave us a bunch of other drug candidates that we're working on. Then you go through and you define which ones are the most effective. And when, when in my case, what I mean by most effective is we specifically want drugs that are going to allow us to treat multiple lysosomal storage disorders with a single therapeutic intervention. And our preference is for drugs that already are approved because that eliminates the costs of, for example, toxicology. We know a lot about dosages, so we can greatly reduce the cost and the time in, getting, in moving these drugs forward. I, I want to go back to, a, to a, a point you made a moment ago. It, if you think about the way these diseases have been traditionally treated, you know, you think of things like enzyme replacement therapy, 
You think of, of, of new technologies that are being used as potential treatments, such as gene therapy. These are, are very one-off and very expensive therapeutic approaches. How might repurposing small molecule drugs that might be able to address a broad range of these diseases change the, the whole landscape? Oh, it's, it's, it's potentially transformative. Remember that, that, that testing a drug takes time. So if you have a drug, which is the kind of drugs that we work on, that can slow disease progression and decrease the toxic effects of oh, these substances that accumulate in these disorders, you're buying time for people. Well, these more complex therapies of enzyme replacement and gene therapy it can be developed. And, and a lot of these diseases move very quickly. So buying this time is, is, is very, very important. And in fact, for some of the late onset versions of these diseases, the approaches that we take may be um, therapeutically, uh, I'm not going to say all that you need, but even more beneficial than we see in the extremely severe diseases that we have focused on thus far. So that is one way in its which this approach differs and I think is very important. The second is our focus on general principles relevant to multiple diseases decreases the cost moving forward because, for example, the, the therapies that we're working on now, so far as we can tell, would have equal applicability to Crepe disease, to Gachet disease, to metachromatic leukodystrophy, and we think to at least several others and, and possibly to multiple others. Mark Noble, Professor of Genetics and Neurobiology and Anatomy at the University of Rochester Medical Center. Mark, thanks so much for your time today. Danny, thanks so much for your interest. If you'd like to learn more and read Mark Noble's study in the December 15th edition of the open access journal PLOS Biology, copy the link we've embedded in the introduction of this podcast and paste it into your browser. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.